I'm Fearless Fred, comic book creator, radio personality, and dungeon master extraordinaire. On my podcast, Issue Zero, we'll explore all the things that used to get you beat up in school. From Conan the Barbarian to Wonder Woman, we'll look at the history and future of the fandom universe. So join me as we journey through galaxies far, far away. Issue Zero is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You can also find us and listen on demand at CuriousCast.ca. Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Friday, January 17th. We begin with the ongoing saga of the impeachment of President Donald Trump. We get the latest from Jackson Proskow, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. Next, we continue our coverage of the Ukraine Airlines tragedy. We look at the process of compensation for the victims' families. The Calgary Renovation Show is on this weekend at the BMO Centre. We learn about the benefits of the latest trend, eco-upgrades. And finally, with the cold weather we've been experiencing, there's no better time to check out a movie. We do our weekly check to get the latest new releases from Brett McGarry of The Couch Potatoes. 7.09 now on your Friday morning. The full impeachment trial of President Donald Trump starts next week. Senators stood and swore an oath of impartial justice for this historic proceeding. The Chief Justice presiding in his black robes. And this is only the third time this has happened in American history. With all the details of what we can expect next, Jackson Proskow joins us. Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. Hi, Jackson. Good morning and happy Friday. Happy Friday to you. Thanks for joining us. Boy, it was uh, another week full of uh, goings-on and, and the name Lev Parnas everywhere. You'd never heard of it probably on Monday, but by Thursday, we all now know the name. Yeah, he, of course, is a name that has sort of been central to the whole plot uh, to essentially extort the Ukrainian government to dig up dirt on Joe Biden for the benefit of President Trump. And in exchange for the release of that U.S. military aid and the visit to the White House, he's not perhaps a central figure in the sense that we don't necessarily know his name as the general public, but he was central in the sense that he was doing a lot of the bidding of Rudy Giuliani and President Trump. And he gave a number of bombshell interviews this week in which he said President Trump was fully aware and direct what he called a criminal conspiracy. Uh, he went on to essentially say that everybody was on on this, the Attorney General, Bill Barr, the Secretary of State, and on and on the list goes. And basically he says, look, all these Ukrainian officials would not take meetings, would not have taken meetings with me, I'm nobody, except for the fact that they understood that I was doing the bidding of President Trump. Hmm. Interesting that uh, these allegations are coming out, and uh, Donald Trump claims to really have never uh, crossed paths with Lev, although you do a quick uh, Google search of images, and there's more than a couple images mm. with these two gentlemen standing next to each other. How, how, does, how does he get away with that if we've got photos? I mean, President Trump has a history of not naming to know people or not claiming to know people he worked with closely as soon as those people end up uh, in trouble. Paul Manafort barely knew the guy, barely did anything for me. Well, he was actually the chair of Trump's campaign. This is a pattern we've seen time and time again. It's interesting that that continues to be the discussion. That you, so impeachment, I mean, the, this process, I think everybody expects that it won't end with Donald Trump being forced to leave his presidency. But what is the next step? So the next step begins on Tuesday when the formal trial begins at 1 p.m. Eastern time uh, with the opening arguments from both sides. So the Democrats appointed seven impeachment managers this week. These are the people who will, will essentially prosecute the case. There is still some sort of procedural wrangling that has to take place, though, including how long this trial is going to last. All we know at this point is that it's going to run six days a week, including Saturdays until it's over. Uh, and there's the big unanswered question of will we hear from witnesses like Lev Parnas, like John Bolton? 
Bolton, like White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney, all of whom have been implicated in this, but all of whom, according to Republicans, have no business testifying before the Senate. So the wrangling is going to take place. It's only going to take a simple majority to set any rules for this trial. And essentially, uh, we know at least one Republican is now on board with Democrats. They need three more on top of that to approve introducing witnesses to the trial. And I think that could really change the dynamic. You mentioned six days a week. Not sure how long. How long typically have uh, previous impeachments, I know there's only been a couple really, um, uh, lasted? Bill Clinton's, if I'm not mistaken, lasted 11 weeks. Uh, early estimates are this one could run from two to five weeks. The irony here is that the constitutional experts who were called to testify during the House portion about the, the gravity of the allegations against President Trump, uh, they all testified that, hey, what he is accused of doing is the most serious offense that any sitting U.S. president is accused of committing. And yet Trump could well face the shortest impeachment trial of any U.S. president who's faced the prospect of impeachment. Now, for the senators that will sit in judgment, of Donald Trump. They're running for the Democratic Party nomination. Obviously, this is going to be a show, won't it? It's going to be a show for both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the, the kind of takeaway here is that nobody really knows how this is going to impact the 2020 election. No one knows how this is going to play with the electorate. So the best either side can hope to do is get their colleagues on the record as supporting one thing or the other thing. So if you're a Democrat, you really want Republicans on the record as, you know, supporting a limited trial that doesn't hear evidence, doesn't hear witnesses, moves quickly to exonerate the president. And if you're a Republican, you want Democrats on the record as trying to make this a bigger trial, a bigger spectacle as you push the case that this doesn't rise to the level of impeachment. Because then you can attack each other during the, the, the next election campaign. Exactly. Although I would argue that our attention spans are also fried these days. That can you really say that something that happens right now in January is going to have an impact in November? I think we're all going to forget about things pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Beyond impeachment, uh, the uh, U.S.-China deal uh, made some real progress over the past couple of days here. They did. They signed uh, what they're calling phase one. Uh, This is definitely progress uh, and and sort of ticks off some of the boxes that the White House was looking for here in terms of uh, moving things forward with China. So that's a positive. And uh, Kazma, USMCA, new NAFTA, whatever you want to call it, that also passed through the Senate yesterday and it now goes to President Trump's desk for a signature. Now, one other thing we want to talk to you about, Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden. What's with that uh, little uh, fight that's going on? Yeah, that was pretty uh, a pretty remarkable moment during the debate on Tuesday when uh, uh, they, they had a spat on stage that was caught on a hot mic. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to a conversation that they apparently had behind closed doors in which Warren alleges that Sanders said a, a woman can't win the election. Uh, not that she can't be president, just that she can't win the election against Donald Trump. Uh, it seems as though, you know, three weeks out from the Iowa caucuses, things are getting nasty. And the two sort of second tier candidates are really trying to duke it out, really trying to solidify um, their claim because uh, they both sort of speak to the same audience here. So I think this is just a sign of things getting nasty. It's what every party does is it's duking out and trying to pick its candidates. Uh, what a world we live in, Jackson. Uh, last week, early in the week of World War III was trending on Twitter. <laughs> and here we are today. It, it seems like that was a, a, a months ago, actually. Uh, and of course, the impeachment. So uh, I'm wondering how the president's approval rating has been trending as of late with with so much going on. What are you seeing? 
Yeah, this is what I say about our short attention spans. Uh, his approval rating is really holding roughly steady. It's in and around the 40, 42 percent mark. It hasn't ticked up. It hasn't ticked down. And I think that tells you he's got a solid, committed base. He certainly has the prospect of winning re-election. That's not something that anybody should dismiss. But it's also remarkable. You know, the stock market at record highs again this week, mm-hmm. unemployment at record lows. And yet his approval rating just won't budge because in the grand scheme, in the grand context of things, he is still deeply unpopular and deeply polarizing. And yet has done good things for the country and those who support him will not let that go. Yeah, I think at this point there are not many minds to be made up about whether yeah. or not they're supporting Donald Trump. In Either side, really, right? Exactly. Wow. And oh, one more quick question. It's uh, minus, almost minus 40 with wind chill up here. <laughs> and the Maritimes expecting up to 70 centimeters plus. That's in through uh, areas in Newfoundland. How's the weather? Are you guys getting walloped? Are you guys getting any winter down in Washington? Uh, for the first time this winter, I woke up to what they call a wind chill this morning. So it's currently at zero, uh, wind chill about <laughs> minus five Celsius. Uh, that is a shock to the system in this town, though, because uh, on Saturday, I'm, I'm not rubbing it in. I'm just going to say as a factual matter that I was in shorts because it was 22 oh, degrees Celsius. Oh, Jackson, that's just me. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it has been horrible <laughs> here. So uh, we wish you uh, in, to enjoy that warm weather because we don't wish this stuff on you for sure. Yeah, we've got a little bit of winter coming this week, but uh, Washington is very Vancouver-esque in the winter. Perfect. Well, good luck to you. Uh, We'll be checking in next week. Lots to talk about, I'm sure, as the weeks continue. Thank you for joining us. You too. Jackson Prosco is Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. uh, Coming up to 813 on the morning news, the Iranian uh, plane crash that tragically took the lives of 176 people. Now is the Canadian government searching to find answers for the victims' families, particularly in the area of compensation. But what exactly can be done? Air Passengers Rights founder and activist Gabor Lucas, uh, Lukex, uh, rather, joins us to discuss. Good morning, Gabor. Good morning. Well, what can be done in a situation like this? It's very unique, and I know for many of us, maybe the first time in our lives we've seen an event like this. So, uh, under the international law that is applicable, also known as the Montreal Convention, the first address for the relatives of the families, uh, uh, relatives of the victims, families of the victims uh, who uh, perished in that uh, tragedy is the airline that whose flight was uh, crashed and that it was shot down in that accident. So um, in such a situation, generally, if there is an accident on board an international flight, the airline is automatically liable up to a certain uh, amount that's two, uh, 230,000 Canadian dollars in this case. And for liability above that amount, the airline has to prove that it was not negligent uh, and it has to establish some defenses to avoid a, a liability in for amounts over that $230,000 cap per passenger. Well, the argument you'd think then, I mean, you can't say you're not negligent when you put the planes up during such a, a, you know, an obvious uh, heated time between those two countries. So do you think that they will be off the hook then when it comes to paying out? I I don't think they will be off the hook. I I very much agree with you that in such a situation where you are flying pretty much in a conflict zone, the very act of allowing the aircraft to take off was already a concern, was already negligent in those circumstances. Obviously, it's something that the court will have to consider. Passengers, um, uh, in this case, 
the estate of the passengers, the relatives of the passengers uh, who are from Canada should be able to sue in Canada under the jurisdictional provisions of the Montreal Convention. Is there a wrinkle thrown into this whole mix because of this uh, incident took place in Iran? Not in terms of the uh, liability aspects, because uh, uh, if the passengers were traveling to or from Canada on a round-trip ticket, that would be a key aspect here, then the Montreal Convention would apply. If you flow on a one-way ticket between Canada and Iran, then you might be in trouble in terms of whether the Montreal Convention applies. It mm. probably will not. But if most people would probably travel on a, on a round-trip ticket, Canada, um, Iran, Canada. And so in that case, they are subject to the Montreal Convention, and Canadian courts can deal with the matter. And given that the other possible courts that could otherwise be able to deal with it are not particularly uh, helpful in this context, um, the, I would expect and hope the Canadian courts would hear the matter. And um, the, it, the, the main thing is that normally when you say have a negligence claim, you, you slip on someone's stairs, then you, the claimant, has to prove that uh, the person was negligent and the person is liable for damages. In this case, when you have an accident uh, on board an aircraft resulting in bodily injury or death, the liability is the airline is assumed to be liable, and the only thing that you as a passenger have to show is damages. So in this case, the families would have to show things like um, earning potential possibly and um, uh, other headings of damages of that nature, which people, lawyers who are experts in the personal injury of this nature can explain and uh, and argue before the court. And, you know, the, the, obviously the Canadian government is, is behind uh, the citizens as well and the families of those who lost their lives. So with the Canadian government and the rules that are in place now, it shouldn't be difficult for them to get the compensation. I don't see how the rules in place now have anything to do with it. We are the the new so-called new rules are actually helping the airlines, not the passengers, and they have nothing to do mm -hmm. with uh, accidental deaths. Okay. What I'm talking about is the Montreal Convention, which is part of the Canadian Carriage by Air Act, which has been on the law books for more than uh, nine, mm -hmm. um, 16 years now. So it is a it's a well-established law unfortunately it is often not being enforced by the government so it's if the government is behind the passengers in this case when there's a foreign airline involved it's wonderful but certainly it would be great if the government was enforcing the montreal convention uh, in uh, other cases too when perhaps it's air canada or westjet which are the airlines that are involved thanks for your time this morning gabber we appreciate it thank you very much for having me Gabor Lukacs, uh, air passenger rights founder and activist. The Calgary Renovation Show is on this weekend at the BMO Center with all the info and experts to help you renovate, upgrade, and improve your home inside and out. Tyler Hermanson is the director of Four Elements Integrated Design. He'll be at the show and joins us to share some easy eco upgrades for our home to help them uh, become more energy efficient, which I think we could use mm -hmm. uh, this time of the year. Good morning, Tyler. Good morning, guys. Uh, first off, uh, what would you define as uh, an eco-upgrade? We focus our eco-upgrades first on energy efficiency, and then we might look at air quality inside the house and then expand and start to talk about water efficiency and resource efficiency, um, you know, recycled materials. So we, when we talk eco, it's a big umbrella. Mm -hmm. It really is. So, so I mean, it's, it can be confusing for us, uh, the average homeowner. So what do we know? What do we need to know? What do we look for? What are the biggest problems out there? 
Uh, let's start with comfort. I think we've had, uh, we can all appreciate the warmer weather coming and how hard that cold weather is on our houses. That's really putting our houses to the test. And better insulation, um, better windows, more air tightness are those real big factors to make our house more comfortable and energy efficient. We can appreciate that after the week. You know, uh, when you talk about any renovation or upgrade, I think the bottom line for somebody like myself is, ooh, how much is this going to cost? And when you attach the word eco to it, does that mean I'm going to be paying more money out of pocket? Um, I think in a lot of cases you're getting more, so you should expect to pay a little more. Um, you know, you could buy a brand new, very energy efficient house for about $60,000 more right now, um, which if you look at the percentage cost on the house is really not that much. When you're looking at rentals, it's really going to depend on on how old your house is and how big the scope is. Uh, we have some clients that, you know, have added ten, twenty thousand dollars to their major rental. You know, adding bathrooms and kitchens and that kind of thing. So again, in, in scope, it's not that bad. And then on smaller scales, we can go right down and say, well, look, I'm just changing out a few things that need maintenance. A few thousand dollars, you can make an improvement. Are there green programs for us here in Alberta right now that maybe people aren't aware of? Uh, we had a great program last year um, that was providing money to homeowners that saved money through an energy evaluation and renovation. That program was canceled in October, and we're mm-hmm. kind of waiting now for a new program to fill that spot. Because there isn't um, anything really, is there? No, the only program we have available right now is uh, through CMHC. If you have a very energy-efficient home or, uh, or you renew your mortgage on a very efficient home, you can get a, a rebate on your mortgage insurance if it's through CMHC's program. Uh, you got to find every dollar you yeah. can. Uh, you mentioned uh, you mentioned tightening up the windows and uh, you know some of the gaps that let some of the cold air in. Besides that, do we just jump to an energy-efficient furnace? Or are there other small tips we can uh, impart to listeners? You know, we really want to look at the house as a whole. So as an energy advisor, um, we come into the house, we can do tests, and an evaluation focused on where that energy is going. And we start with the biggest chunk of the pie, and that is often air tightness. And a lot of those things can be sealed up and fixed up very easily. Uh, we just never checked before. And then, you know, you might go a little bit further down the road and start to look at windows or what needs maintenance and replacing. So an energy advisor would guide you through that. Um, even just maintaining your furnace can be a great thing. Um, replacing the filter especially after last few weeks, we've had some really cold weather, so right. the furnace has been running a lot. It's probably fully choked up. Oh, good point. Okay, fair. So listen, you're at the home show this weekend. I know it's a big deal and, and sustainability, conservationism, all that sort of thing. Big focus at the show this weekend. What will you be talking about on the main stage? So I'm going to do uh, a little bit bigger version of this talk. Um, I want to make sure people understand what the role of an energy advisor is, and I'm going to give a whole bunch of tips and experiences that we've found from doing over a thousand guides uh, evaluations of homes and, and what we found and what homeowners can do. You know, somebody, I'm, I'm not the handiest guy, Tyler, uh, but people have told me uh, time and time again things I can do when they're visiting my home and in, in, during my home inspection a couple of years ago. One of the things they focused on was the attic, which is uh, it's not the attic you can store things in, but they said, you know, you want to put some more insulation in the attic uh, because not only, and they always think about the heat value and the heat leaving your home, but in the summer I would benefit from extra insulation in the attic. How does that work and is there an eco-solution for that? Uh, absolutely, but again, I'm sounding like a broken ratchet here, but air leakage is the first thing you need to check because we don't want moisture collecting up in that attic, oh. and that's driven through the holes and the gaps that we find in the ceiling. 
Um, so look at air tightness first. Mm-hmm. And and then a little bit of insulation added in there uh, is great because it's so accessible. It's easy to blow in more insulation. It's a very inexpensive uh, renovation. Um, it won't save a ton of energy. Mm-hmm. When you look at the average size home, uh, maybe only five to seven percent of our heat is lost through the attic through through the insulation. But it's so easy to get up there. Only a few hundred dollars, you can double that thickness and make a difference. And it does make a difference in the summer. Wow. Okay. So who? How? You know? How do I? I go online. What am I even googling? What am I looking for for someone who can come into my house and help me find some of these easy fixes to make? So the Canadian, we're, we're lucky as Canadians to have the Energy Advisor Network through Natural Resources Canada. So if you go to Enercan and you search Energy Advisor, there's a whole listing there. You can look up by postal code. And Enercan published a really important guide for Canadians on how to keep the heat in. And it's called Keeping the Heat In. Uh, it's a free PDF, very detailed on how you do this work, um, what materials you need to do, what to watch out for, very easy to understand. So if I find a, somebody who can come in and advise me, what's something like that typically cost? Or is it a, a per square footage type analysis? Having an energy advisor come and spend a couple hours in your home and do an energy model of the house and a air tightness test runs you about 300 maybe $500 for an average size house. But that's not that bad considering, you know, how much savings you could get ultimately over the years going forward. Absolutely. And when you think of people sometimes make the wrong choice when they're renovating, put the wrong type of insulation on the wall and actually make the house worse. An energy advisor would have caught that, would have made a better recommendation for them and help them navigate what is a complex and it, it's interesting that you're going to be doing your talk this weekend on the coldest <laughs> weekly this week. <laughs> yeah. you, you find that a lot of people don't think about it until they have to think about it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think we're all guilty of that. And and this from this week, even if you just make a note to your future self <laughs> of the problems that your house had during this last week, like, oh, this door got a little sticky. There's a really cold spot on this corner of the floor. This is all information that can be really helpful for an energy advisor to to look at when they come through your house. Good stuff there, and uh, appreciate your time this morning. We'll be uh, looking for your talk this weekend. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Stay warm. You too. Tyler Hermanson, Director of Four Elements Integrated Design, uh, this weekend at the Calgary Renovation Show, and you can find out more about Tyler and what he does at fourelements.eco. And you can go calgaryrenovationsshow.com as well to get all the details on the show, and you can get uh, your tickets online through that website with two bucks off if you do do it online. Save that money. For sure. 9.09 on the morning news as Alberta and Albertans work to diversify our economy. SATE is stepping up to show people the trades industry in Calgary and across the province for that matter is alive and well and a great option for young people. SATE will have a presence this week, this weekend rather, straight on through Sunday at the Calgary Renovation Show. Reva Bond Ramsden is Dean of the School of Construction at SATE and she joins us now. Good morning, Reva. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Good to have you. Well, good on you for shouting uh, from the rooftops about an industry that will never really go out of favor. So what's your message to young people out there? Uh, So we're really promoting trades is tech. Um, Trades isn't going to go away and uh, it's evolving just as quickly as some other industries are as well. There's tons of new skills to be learned. Um, the work is exciting. It's challenging. And uh, we've got a 104 history of, of training. And uh, so we'd, we'd love to uh, help anybody who's interested. And I mean, it is. It's, it's one of those things that doesn't matter what the economy is like. Yes, it might slow down in terms of job availability a little bit, but trades never goes out of style. You always need an electrician, a plumber, whatever it might be. 
Absolutely. And it's not just building new. Um, and that's what the home reno show is all about, right? Uh, it's about enhancing what you already have, maintaining your home. Um, yeah, tons of opportunity. So let's talk about your presence. When people are down at the home and renovation show this weekend, what are, what are they going to see when they look at your booth or your corner? Uh, so we've got tons of information about different programs that we offer, but uh, we've got a few of our top instructors down here, uh, carpentry and plumbing. So we'll be able to do some demos. <clears throat> um, and certainly if uh, anyone's interested in learning more, we, we have a home renovation certificate um, offered in the evenings um, for those homeowners or people who are playing or if you're a fan like myself watching the uh, the Home and Garden Network mm-hmm. <laughs> way too much and getting ex- inspired. <laughs> so you can actually learn while you're there and, and walk away with a little certificate. Uh, so <clears throat> you'll, you'll get to uh, hands-on try it and uh, certainly information about how to enroll for a course if you want to learn more. Talk to us a bit about those courses. What kind of courses do you offer at SAIT? Oh, goodness. Um, so in the school of construction, we, we do the whole breadth of, of construction. So, you know, long before you've got the hammer in your hand, you've got to design and uh, take measurements and, and think through that. Um, and certainly there's a lot of technology advancements in that area. So we show people right from hand sketching your designs um, to using the software, AutoCAD, 3D modeling, um, and, uh, you know, uh, really getting a visualization for, for the product because a great design will save you on the uh, management and materials of, the, of doing the actual work. So that upfront investment is, is critical and, and perhaps sometimes missed in, in some uh, do-it-yourself projects. Reva, it's fine to talk about the programs or maybe look at them online, but I've uh, been to SAIT in the past couple of years, and I think that it's eye-opening because if you'd and not been to state for the past 10, 15, 20 years, or if you're not aware of, of what these classrooms and the, these uh, uh, different workshops look like, it is mind-blowing when you do a tour of SAIT. It, it is beautiful. We are so blessed to have an amazing campus, and uh, we're actually launching May start dates for the first time. Um, and so, you know, in all this cold weather, spring might see, seem like a long ways away, um, but there is nothing like the state campus in the summer. Um, the blossoms and the trees, and our goal is to fill up our campus this summer with students and learning. So lots of new opportunities, um, and we've got those all on display down here. And Riva, I love, you know, we talked to the Dean of the School of Construction, who I'm sure most people, if you asked, would just assume it would be a man. What kind of numbers <laughs> are we talking about in terms of male-female in these, you know, construction courses at SAIT? Oh, well, I love that question. Um, I'm also the chair for our Women in Trades and Technology Association on campus. We do a lot of peer-to-peer and um, experts to uh, interested potential students will mentor you all the way through um, because we've been there, done that, and uh, we know what it's like to be on a job site and be in the minority. Um, As a whole, school construction, we're only 10% women. Um, but some of our programs are, we're, we're really pushing the needle. We're getting close. We're, um, architectural Technologies is 50% women. Um, and so we'd love to push that even further and, and see equality across all of our programming. Awesome. And I know it does change depending on which program you decide to enter and, and uh, put your focus on, but typically how long would it take um, if there's an average uh, for me to uh, attain a certificate for a trade? <clears throat> um, we have four-month programs, mm-hmm. uh, 12 weeks. You can have a, a pre-employment certificate and, and absolutely be employable, start your career in the trades. And uh, we have diplomas um, and applied degrees. You can be done in as quick as 18 months. 
Um, and for those of us that have a full-time job and, and want something in the evening to keep ourselves uh, sharp, we have longer programs as well. So you can spread that out and uh, find the flexibility that works for you. Fantastic. Well, I think it'll be a very popular thing down at the Calgary Renovations Show. So good on you. And uh, it's sate.ca, correct? If people want to look into registering for the School of Construction. Absolutely. Yeah, we look forward to seeing you down here today. And I'm here right now. And uh, I need to do a bit more walking around because I see some really cool products I want to check out. No doubt. Calgary Renovation Show starts today, runs through the weekend. CalgaryRenovationShow.com for that one. You know, that was awesome because I talk to my kids about the trades quite often because they are still in this mindset. mindset, And I think it comes back to when we were young where people were university, university, university. Uh, but again, the trades have, are not, they're not going anywhere. They've not uh, gone Never anywhere. Will. And, and, and I love that, you know, it's a female running that construction school. It's just a great reminder that you can be whoever and go in and get involved in this from the design stage to the hammering and nail stage. Well, doesn't matter. And uh, it doesn't, it, it, you have to become an adult to realize the impact of a trade. And again, uh, going back to what I tell my kids, uh, you know, if you want to, if, if plumbing interests you, that's fine. But aspire not just to be a plumber, but to own your own company. Absolutely. And as an adult, I can tell you what, when a guy or a girl comes in and knows a lot more than I do about something and can fix a problem in 20 minutes and I pay them $300, <laughs> I sometimes think that that might have been the career for me. Yeah, um, everybody wants not, a plumber for a friend, easy, right? Yeah. But I'll tell you what, they can charge some half-decent rates. They work their tails off. Uh, but, you know, if you, if you do end up uh, running your own great. little shop, yeah, are you kidding me? Excellent. What a great career choice and uh, tip of the hat to Sate. So much to learn down at the renovation show and look for the Sate booth and talk to them. Find out if it's for you. It's Friday. It's time to check in with Brett McGarry of the Couch Potatoes. Hello to you. Hi there. Happy Friday. I know you've been in a deep freeze. We've been in a deep freeze. Maybe it's time to come out of hibernation and go to the movies this weekend. Yeah, there are a couple of interesting choices this weekend. So we'll start with one. It's a threequel that I I really don't understand why they made this, but uh, here it is. It's Bad Boys for Life. I'm retiring. What happened to Bad Boys for Life? It's time we be good men. Look at the baby. Stop it right now. Seriously. Look at the baby. I'll be outside. Marcus, somebody's trying to kill me. I'm not letting you go on a suicide mission alone. One last time. One last time. Will Smith and Martin Lawrence team mm-hmm. up one last time in Bad Boys for Life. So this is the threequel in the Buddy Cop series that started back in 1995. And then there was a sequel in 2003, which had an insane car chase. Uh, Smith was the cool one. Lawrence, the not-so-cool one, they get into crime-related hijinks and a lot of things get blown up. Neither of those two movies were very well-reviewed. That first movie is only 42% on Rotten Tomatoes, but it has. there's a lot of affection for that movie. And the sequel was just, it got dreadful reviews, 24%, I think, on Ooh. Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, and yet, here we, so there was no need for this movie. I, I really don't understand why they had to go back to this well, but it's got 75% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> wow. Well, three times a charm, right? Yeah, apparently. Now, now also worth noting that Michael Bay was the director of the first two movies. And while he's great at doing big, bombastic stuff, he's not great at at actually making good movies. Uh, (laughs) He's not the director of this film. So maybe that's why it's actually looks like it's going to be a decent movie. You said, why do we need this one? I'm thinking that Martin Lawrence uh, begged Will Smith and begged every... (laughs) Because Will Smith certainly does need it, but uh, Martin Lawrence, we haven't seen him in anything for a long time, I think. 
No, you're right. He certainly could use the paycheck. Will Smith could use a win as well. I mean, yeah. he hasn't uh, had a really a big movie in a long time. You know, he, there was once upon a time Will Smith was the the king of the castle in Hollywood, and and the last few years, almost every movie he puts out is kind of a stinker. So great self promoter uh, yeah. though. He's everywhere on social media right now. Will Smith. Yeah, and. And this one, it does look fun. I mean, I, yeah. I yeah. As, in spite of the reviews, I like those bad boys movies. They're they're fun popcorn action flicks. Everybody so likes a bad boy, you guys. Look at that. <laughs> look at that. I, I think we might have another choice, and that's our cue to move on, Brett. Uh, what's next? Is uh, Doolittle? That's right. Robert Downey Jr. has left the Marvel Cinematic Universe to talk to animals in Doolittle. Dr. Doolittle. I Babies cry. You can talk to animals. Watch them grow. Yes. Anything you'd like to say to me? We've got choice but to embark on this journey. So Dr. John Doolittle is a character that first debuted in a children's book 100 years ago. Wow. It's been adapted umpteen times as radio shows, stage shows, TV shows, movies, starring Eddie Murphy in 1998 and 2001. And now we've got this new spin with RDJ as the doctor who can talk to animals. And as you heard, they go on an adventure. The cast and voice cast includes Michael Sheen, Antonio Banderas, Tom Holland, Emma Thompson, we heard her wow. voice in that clip, Ray Fiennes, Rami Malek, Kumail Nanjiani, Marion Cotillard, Selena Gomez, and Octavia Spencer. So Holy. just a step cast yeah. but it's getting lousy reviews mm -hmm. it is at uh 17 on rotten tomatoes so yeah mm. i don't really know if i can recommend that one but it looks like it, if you got kids i i can't see how you can at least the kids i'm sure will enjoy it but you might not it seems very interesting to me because robert downey jr it's uh we're, we're talking about will smith and Martin Lawrence uh, from a movie 25 years ago, and Robert Downey Jr. It's almost like a time warp, if you were to say, <laughs> in 2020, these are the stars that will be opening movies. Uh, but in Robert Downey Jr.'s case, here's a guy that will take almost any role. I don't mean that as an insult, but I'll tell you what. Is he a superhero? Is he an action star? He, he does take risks. Yeah, and I think maybe, too, he might be trying to ensure that he can do other movies other than... Iron Man, yeah, because mm -hmm. he's tried he's tried to do other movies, but he hasn't really had a big hit outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He's one of the biggest stars in Hollywood, but like essentially only because of his role as Iron Man. So maybe he's trying to make sure that he is not just seen as Tony Stark, especially now that he's put that character behind him. You know, he's such a gifted actor, uh, but this movie maybe is not the uh, not the way to do it. <laughs> it's not the gift that we would really like to have. No. 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 So look, it looks out of these two, Bad Boys for Life getting better reviews, okay. but Doolittle looks like it's fun for the family. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, Brett. Have a great weekend and a couple of good options at the theater. All right, guys. Take care. Stay warm. Brett McGarry of the Couch Potatoes. Thanks for joining us on the Morning News Podcast. We'd love for you to join us again. Make sure you're subscribed to the Morning News Podcast wherever you get your podcasts, like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. And if you like what you've heard, please rate the show. It helps us improve it for you. See you next time on the Morning News.